Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Jaguar Report podcast. I am your host, John Shipley, and I'm joined once again by my host, Gus Logue, the owner of The Hottest Takes in the Northeast Florida region. Gus, how you doing today, man? I'm good, John. I, I appreciate that. I'll try to keep living up to that title, but I'm doing well. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to try. It just comes naturally. I mean, yeah, I mean, it does. I've got some good ones for this week, honestly. So okay, it'll, yeah. be good. I'll, it'll be good under the show. Well, good because you you need to pick them up for, because just just for the <laughs> for the show. I mean, you mentioned last week my my hot take well has ran dry in terms of the Jaguars. I I got I got I got plenty of you know hot takes in general, right? Uh, but Jaguar specific ones. But um, what's it called? I guess uh, what is it? A uh, you know what? Not even gonna put that hot take. It involved Jamal Adams, but not even gonna put that one. Uh, on I, I know what you're thinking, <laughs> but you you have yeah. to put on the air. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh. Uh, well, it's week 15 now in the NFL. There are three weeks mercifully left in the Jacksonville Jaguars 2020 season. Uh, it's It's been a ride, you know, these last uh, 15 weeks or so. The Jaguars now sit at 1-12, uh, you know, 12-game losing streak. It's the longest season losing streak in team history, and they're one win away from tying the longest losing streak in team history. I mean, one loss away from tying the longest losing streak in team history. And they're about to play a Ravens team that is, you know, fresh off one of the biggest wins of the entire NFL season. So it seems pretty certain they're going to go ahead and tie that record. The latest loss, though, Gus, uh, you know, came in a 31-10 to loss to the Titans last Sunday that didn't even feel really as close, you know, as it actually was. We have a lot to talk about on the show today, but, you know, we're, we're not going to have a Jaguars podcast and not talk about the last Jaguars game. So, Gus, just what was your biggest takeaway from, uh, you know, the Jaguars' latest loss and really how the Titans kind of steamrolled them for four quarters? Yeah, so first of all, it's, it was kind of an obvious segment for talent matters just because the Titans' offensive line kind of had the way with – both the front and back half of the Jaguars defense the entire game. And so like it seemed like Todd Wash and the rest of like the defensive staff and the team overall was kind of ready to prioritize stopping Derrick Henry. And I know you and I both expected Henry to not have a great game because early in the season he rushed, I think it was 25 times for 85 yards. 
or something yeah. along that stat line when the two teams played in week two. And so we both expected something similar, but then post Thanksgiving, Derrick Henry took over. And so it was, yeah. it's a lot easier said than done to stop that guy. I, I'm, but, I'm gonna I'm gonna factor that in when they play next December because yeah I, I I do like a five prediction so like individual predictions for before the game and you know I've gotten a few right you know like I pre- I predicted Jake Luton getting pulled after the Steelers game I I think I had James Robinson's week one yard scrimmage like almost the exact yard but yeah I said Derrick Henry would have under four yards per carry last week and I. To, to say that was wrong, I mean, I, I haven't been that wrong since I thought Dwayne Haskins was a good quarterback prospect. I mean, I, I just completely swung <laughs> and whiffed on that one. So, yeah, yeah the, the, it seems like, like you said, the post-Thanksgiving Derrick Henry narrative is not even a narrative. It's just real, and it's I, uh, stupid. It makes no sense, but <laughs> I got a trend for it, actually. I posted this before the game last week. So, DeMarco Murray used to be tight, and he and Henry, like, split the backfield. But then Mark, DeMarco Murray retired after 2017. And so since then, Derrick Henry has played the Jags for three years. So in 2018, the first game against Jacksonville, he had 57 rushing yards, zero touchdowns. Second game, he had 238 rushing games or rushing yards and four touchdowns. That was when he had the 99-yard, like, stiff farm, all the defenders. In 2019, 44 yards in the first matchup, 159 and two touchdowns in the second. This year, he had 84 yards. It was in the first matchup. And then I don't even know how many he had. It was a hundred and something. It was a lot. Yeah. It was too many. <laughs> so it, 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 it's amazing. Like when you look at Derrick Henry's like game logs versus Jacksonville, he's had more unproductive games than productive games. Right. But his career numbers against them are astronomical because the games that you know he has produced in, it's literally some of like the most both efficient and in terms of volume, best games a running back has had like in the last couple decades. Yeah. Like I think he has he, he has the record now for most, like, games with 200 rushing yards and two touchdowns. And I know two of them came against Jacksonville. I think a third I, – I, I don't think a third did, but there's at least a chance. But at least half of those came against One of them was probably against the Colts the other week, right? Yeah, and I, I think he might have had one against the Texans. Okay, true. But, yeah, it's crazy because, like, he's so efficient, but he also, like, gets the most volume easily of any running back in the league. Yeah, it's and – Pretty and cool I, to see. It, it, Doug Marone after the game uh, – you know, he kind of sounded like exasperated about it because I, you know, I asked him like, uh, "What did you see with Henry that he gave you guys so many issues?" And he essentially said, "You know, we can't put any more people on the line or in the box." You know, like yeah, we, they, they they did what they could, and I think uh, next gen stats they stacked the box. Only like three other running backs ran against more stacked boxes than Henry did. Uh, I, I don't have the splits on how he produced against stat boxes. But, I, I mean, it, it was just obvious the Jaguars' entire plan was to stop Henry, and they right. weren't able to do that. And that was obviously the biggest reason why they lost that game. And, I, you know, I tweeted after the game, I, I did a story that the Jaguars need to figure out an answer to their Henry problem. And, you know, somebody, of course, you know, mentioned that, well, they have a lot of other problems than, you know, a rival running back. And while that's true, the easiest way to get to the playoffs every year and the only sure way to get to the playoffs is by winning your division. So I'm a firm believer that when constructing your team, you need to have the rest of your division in mind. You know, when the Jaguars draft defenders, they need to have the Sean Watson, uh, AJ Brown, those kind of guys in mind. And I think their Henry is the same for the Jaguars, Texans and Colts. Like, you know, they, they need to figure out like an answer to this guy over the next couple of years. Cause if they don't, he's just going to continue to run over them. And the Titans are going to continue to play significant games at this point of the year. 
Yeah, the I feel like the NFC West is the same thing where the Rams and the Seahawks and the Niners all kind of like copycat off each other and like yep. are just trying to beat each other so hard. And the Cardinals now too. But I agree with what you said completely, but it's just hard for the Jaguars because I also have to figure yeah. out how to stop Deshaun Watson, who's also in the division. So it's like one of the best quarterbacks and one of the best running backs for probably the next maybe decade. Yeah, so it's, nah, that- it's pretty tough. Hey, but they have one of the best uh, – they got one of the best punters in the league, though. So, you know, take That's that. That's true. Jeff. At least we can take, pin them. Take that, <laughs> we, Jeff Fisher. They'll play the field possession game. Yeah. That'll but help. I, I mean, other than that, uh, obviously the biggest uh, moment in this game uh, came when, you know, after the first possession of the second half, uh, Mike Glennon threw a fluttering ball deep to DJ Chark, and it was intercepted. And Glennon got pulled for Minshew. Minshew into the game. It was 31-3. So, you know, for all the – like, I've seen lots of, you know, like analysis of how he played against the Titans. It, it, I'm completely throwing that game out in my mind. I mean, you come off the bench cold in the 31-3 game. I'm not sure anything you put on tape actually, you know, matters per se. But uh, obviously, you know, Marone made the move that we'd been discussing for weeks, and he put Minshew back onto the field. So, I mean, were you surprised to uh, see him make that move? And do you think you'll have – really any tangible impact over these final three weeks um no I wasn't surprised at the time when he made it I like before the game I would have I would have been a little bit surprised but Glennon was playing like one of his worst games as a professional which is saying a lot considering that Mike Glennon's not a very good NFL quarterback and so it wasn't surprising that after the second half or during the second half Minshew went in and I I definitely agree with you that you kind of have to throw that tape out just because we we all know that Minshew is a very conservative quarterback, and so there's no way that putting him in 31-3 to is going to do anything significant Like when the game's basically already wrapped up at that point, even though it was in the third quarter. So well, yeah. next-gen stats, I'm sure, had some kind of win probability, but it wasn't very high for Minshew's playing style. And so you can't really – you got to factor that in a little bit. But it's tough because he – probably like he does give the Jaguars the best chance to win yeah but 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 it's like he needs to scrap games together and like barely get by and like I don't I don't know how easy that's going to be against the Ravens this week and then the Bears and then the Colts who all have great defenses no I mean 100% I mean especially you know I mean you mentioned in your article this week just how much the Ravens blitz and can throw different looks at you I mean they have the kind of defense that, you know, the more complex defenses are kind of the ones that he has struggled with. You know I mean? You mentioned also, you know, his most success came in week one against the Colts. So for as good as the Colts defense is, it's probably the most basic defensive scheme, you know, that the right. Jaguars have seen all season. So I, I think that's definitely a good point. And I, I'd agree with you in the sense that I, the one thing I've seen is that I think a lot of people, you know, mostly in the fan base, having issue recognizing the line between the best quarterback on the team or on the roster the last several years and quality play relative to, you know, average quarterback play in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's clearly better than Mike Glennon. He's better than Nick Foles. He's better than Blake Bortles, Cody Kessler and all that. But, you know, like you said, at the end of the day, his style of play isn't really, you know, conductive to that of a winning quarterback. And, you know, he can be the best of a bad quarterback situation, but, at the end of the day, you know, that doesn't really give you uh, really anything, you know, to hang your hat on. So, now I'm with you. I, I, I thought moving Glennon out of the starting role was an obvious move. I mean, just 
I, I personally, me personally, if I was a coach, I would have benched him in Minnesota. Like, not even after the game. I would have benched him during that Vikings game because I believe if they have uh, just slightly better quarterback play, they probably win that game. So, I, I, my entire thing with the whole notion of, you know, benching Minshew was I completely understood why they did it. Uh, you know, NFL coaches probably would – you know, rather play and coach a guy with Glennon's skill set as opposed to Minshew's. Like, you know, as a play caller and as a coach, I can imagine Minshew's, you know, just play style can be frustrating at times, you know, try to coach. But on the other hand, you can't say a guy's the best chance to win when it's just, you know, clear to everybody that it isn't. So that, that right. to me was him, you know, he had to say something when asked about it. And, you know, like, okay, I guess we'll go with this route. But I don't think anybody really believed it, uh, even him, honestly. But, over these next three weeks, I mean, do you think there is anything Garner can do to increase his value over these next three weeks? And by that, I mean not his value to the Jaguars because I, I, I don't think they can go – I think if they went 3-0 and, you know, he throws 12 touchdowns and zero interceptions over these next three games, I still think they're finding a different quarterback, you know. But do you think he can add to his value maybe potentially to other teams over this kind of next, like, mini audition? Yeah, I think avoiding negative plays is going to be the biggest thing for him. And, like, that's – it's kind of funny because that's his mindset or his playing style is to avoid negative plays. But then he just holds on to the ball for so long and all the plays – not all the plays, obviously, but it feels like so many plays end up being either sacks or, like, two-yard scrambles or strip sacks. And so him holding on for the ball for longer than he should actually increases the rate of poor plays being able to happen. but for in terms of like the audition, like being being able to prove that he can avoid negative plays and just kind of keep the team alive is kind of the biggest thing. And that'll kind of give him an audition to maybe be like a Nick Mullins where he can be a system quarterback and just like a manager with like a really good offensive coordinator, I guess, is kind of the goal yeah. for him. Or that's what that's how I'd do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've said it more than a few times. I, I think there's absolutely a place you know, for him in the NFL is even if it isn't, you know, as a starting quarterback. But no, I, I'd agree with you there. I mean, just aside from Minshew, though, is there anything you think we can learn about the Jaguars over these next three weeks? Or is this just one of those scenarios where, okay, they have to play these games because they're on the schedule, but we can already go ahead and, you know, kind of pause a game and sim it uh, into 2021? Yeah, I think that's definitely like the biggest case. It'll be like, I think you kind of look at two groups of players, like young players, like basically the 2020 and 2019 draft classes, especially since there are so many people in the draft class from the last year. And then on top of that, um, players who are slated to become free agents in the next offseason and whether or not you want to extend or not extend them or re-sign them. So people like Sidney Jones and Keelan Cole yeah. and Cam Robinson and kind of see how they do, especially with like, since there's going to be, a new general manager and they might end up looking at the last few games of this season as kind of tape to see what they think. And so it's kind of, it's a little bit of auditions for Gardner plus really young players plus potential free agents is what I would say. And I I mean, that's the thing that, you know, players and coaches always say, like, it might sound cliche, but I mean, it's true. You know, the tape is your resume, you know, for for every single one of these guys, like when teams look at them next year, they're not going to care that the Jaguars are one and 12 at this point, you know, they're looking to see what they can potentially add to their teams next year. So I'm with you. I I think there's anything the Jags can learn over the next few weeks. It is, 
you know, just getting more experience for some of their young guys that, you know, maybe have taken a while to get going. You know, guys like Caleb on, Chase on, uh, Joe Giles-Harris, that's another guy, you know, give more playing time. Uh, looks like Josiah Scott's going to get more playing time this week. So just uh, things like that. Uh, Colin Johnson, you know, is another guy who will probably see more snaps over these next three weeks. Just giving them more exposure because I do think that it's a legitimate thing where, uh, you know, you can build momentum toward having a good second season if you can close out your rookie year, you know, kind of the right way. I mean, you know, we've we've seen it uh, we've seen it here before in recent years. So I, I, I definitely think that they can learn something about the roster in that sense. But just in the sense of long term, I, I don't think there's anything else to learn about this 2020 Jaguars team. You know, I mean, I I, I think it's going to be a Jaguars season and a Jaguars team that's kind of, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, as we move as we move into the future, I think it's going to be kind of, you know, easily forgotten. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. And, I mean, it's a little bit of an audition, like we said, for these players. But at the same time, unless someone has a major breakout or is a major disappointment over three games, it's not like there's you're being able to put a ton on tape that's going to have a major impact. So I agree that's kind of a little bit wrapped up and that it is what it is. And so yeah. Yeah, that's, no, why, I, that's why it's been so easy to kind of look look ahead to 2021 for a lot yeah. of reasons. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean, it, I, that's just kind of the nature of the NFL. So um, m- moving forward, uh, Gus, bef- before the game even kicked off on Sunday, it looked like the – greater Jacksonville Jaguars community was ready to get their pitchforks and torches because uh, Adam Schefter had a report on ESPN Sunday countdown where I, I, I don't think people were freaking out because they saw his report, but I, I guess a couple different Buffalo Bills type guys or something had tweeted out like, oh, Schefter says uh, Marone is likely or has a good shot to stay through uh, after 2020. So uh, Adam Schefter, you know, went on ESPN Sunday Sunday. NFL countdown, and here's uh, what he said, you know, exactly word for word. Uh, In Jacksonville, Doug Marone has had the Jaguars playing well the last couple of weeks. They played the Steelers very tough. They played the Minnesota Vikings very tough. And there are some people around the league that believe he is actually garnering some support to stay on. Even though Jacksonville changes general manager, Dave Caldwell, firing him recently, there are some people that believe that Marone could be given a chance to stick on. We will see how this situation unfolds in the coming weeks. A lot of people flipped out about that, Gus. But to me, that was I, – I don't think that's anything worth anybody, like, thinking, okay, this means Marone has a better chance to stay. To me, that, that all that was saying to me was his fate is still yet undecided, which I'm not sure is actually that much of an update. Does that make sense? Yeah, I 100% agree. I think a lot of people were kind of freaking out about it just because it was sort of a vague statement and everyone was kind of uncertain of whether it's through the season or the end of the season or what it even really meant. It was just – a little vague and didn't make sense. The most blatant thing was that the Jaguars didn't play tough against the Steelers. They did get they did get an overtime against the Vikings, but to say they played tough in a twenty-seven to three game or whatever it was when the quarterback threw four interceptions is. Off. I was gonna say there there are so many other games to point to other than the Steelers game. Yeah, but, yeah and I, I I did find it kind of you know ironic that. Right after, you know, an hours after that report came out, the Jaguars, you know, suffered one of their worst losses, you know, of the of the entire season, and it was at home. But I, I, I had a lot of people ask me about that report and if there's any credence to it. And what I would say is I, I don't expect Doug Marone to return at all. Uh, I'm 0 for 1 on that prediction because I said last year I didn't think he would return. I thought Dave Caldwell would return, so I'll give myself a minor pat in the back on that one. But I, I thought he'd be I thought he'd be picking a new coach, and you know he obviously didn't. But 
this year, um, I don't think Marone's going to return, but I do think that his fate hasn't actually been decided yet. Just, just because of how the Jaguars operate, you know, they like having their, you know, kind of front office kind of leading the charge and kind of figuring out, okay, what are we going to do on the coaching front? So until the Jaguars have a general manager, I don't think Marone's fate's going to actually be known. And I think that's a big reason why they, uh, you know, I've already told him he's going to be the coach through at least these next uh, few weeks. So I, I figured we should at least uh, mention that because that was that that was exploding on, on Twitter on Sunday. And once once I actually saw a video, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's worth that kind of reaction, you you know. But it, it, it's how, how surprised would you be if Marone the scale one to ten Marone's the coach in 2021, new general manager? How surprised are you? I would say eight, yeah, ten being eight. like most surprised. Well, yeah, what about eight. you? Oh man, I'd I'd say, I'd say probably around eight or nine because yeah. I mean I, I I do think like you know he obviously got dealt kind of a rough hand this year, but he, just the way I'm programmed in my eyes, you know, wins and losses are is all it's about the NFL level, and you know, one winning season in four years, I'm not really sure that's you know, any evidence that you should, you know, keep the job. But on the other hand, I've never actually felt like he was the team's biggest issue. Does that make sense? Like, I've never felt like he was like Matt Patricia in Detroit where it's clear that he is the thing holding the team back. It's always kind of, you know, he's always kind of been along for the ride for the the craftiness these last couple of years, but I've never like thought of looking at him as like, okay, he's their biggest problem. You know? not, but then again, if you're a head coach and if you're not a solution, then you're probably a problem in itself. That's exactly what I was going to say is that like, he's certainly not an awful head coach, I wouldn't say, but you kind of just like need a restart and you're going to get a restart at assumingly at quarterback and general manager. And so like, even though Marone, like you said, isn't someone like Patricia or Gates, he's also not the solution. And so you, yeah. you kind of have to try to find a solution instead of just settling for yeah. not even mediocrity. <laughs> I was going to say, you can do worse, but you can also do a lot better. And a lot know, better, yeah. what they should be aiming for. So, so, I mean, we're in agreement there. But, well, uh, other than that, there's another, you know, kind of head coaching nugget out there for the Jaguars. Uh, Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated in his uh, Monday morning quarterback column, you know, he mentioned uh, the Jaguars opening and he floated out an interesting idea that, you know, maybe the Jaguars could be moving toward a more, you know, coach-centric approach where, you know, the coach is kind of the main figurehead of the the program and the organization and the coach is the one making the major decisions. And while he flowed that idea, he, he had mentioned, you know, he's like, hey, a name to maybe keep an eye on, uh, you know, perhaps Urban Meyer. And that caught a lot of people's eyes because, I mean, Urban Meyer gets connected to a new NFL or college coaching job every single season. But, uh, I mean, the Jaguars would certainly be a new one. And that's not Breer saying the Jaguars have interest in Urban Meyer at all or saying even vice versa. He's just saying, you know, raising, like, the potential idea of it. And it kind of got me thinking. And when the more I got thinking about it, I, I don't think it's likely, like, at all. But I'm like, if Urban Meyer was the coach in the NFL, I think the Jaguars are probably one of the teams that he'd probably be willing to come to because I think – they're one of the teams that could give him that kind of power dynamic where it's like in college, you know, where he, he is, you know, kind of at Ohio state in Florida, he was running all their evaluations, all the coaching and how they did things. And it's not exactly the same at the NFL level because you have a front office and stuff, you know, the coaching staff kind of does both things at the college level. And in the NFL, I, I don't think there's many teams that would give a coach that kind of, 
power dynamic right now, but I think the Jaguars would actually be willing and interested to, you know, kind of like they did with Tom Coughlin a few years ago. I mean, people forget that uh, Khan had reportedly had interest in, Co in Coughlin coaching team before, you know, settling on him being executive vice president. So wh when I got to thinking about it, I was like, I don't think it will happen at all. And I, I don't even think it's like really a potential scenario, but the more I thought about it, like, if Meyer wanted to coach in the NFL, I think the Jags would make sense for him. I mean, what about you? Yeah. I mean, there's an obvious Florida connection where you're about two hours away from Gainesville. And then even more obvious is the Justin Fields connection, assuming that Fields does end up going to Jacksonville at second overall in April. Um, I already called definitely... it. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> but only listen to you if you're right, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Noted. But yeah, it would definitely be interesting for that kind of power dynamic because I think it would be worth it just because urban's track record but at the same time like you said there hasn't really been a lot of history of it in the nfl and so and then while the jaguars have actually kind of done it they've done it more at the like and the executive position versus yeah. the coaching position and the last time that I can think of a coach having a lot of power in the nfl in terms of like personnel decisions and things like that is chip kelly in philadelphia and that had obviously that obviously didn't turn out great yeah in the early 2010s for the eagles and so, I don't know. At the end of the day, I definitely agree with you that I would be very surprised if it happened, but it's interesting to talk about, and I think it would be a cool fit, and it makes sense. Would Would you consider him, at least, you know, from your position, say, say uh, I'm trying to think of another type of coach, say, you know, Brian uh, Dabble or uh, Urban Meyer, who, who is more appealing to you in that sense? Because, I mean, just two really different, skill sets and resumes because I think the big thing people have to remember is a big reason why Meyer was so good at the college level was because of how amazing of a recruiter he was you know and that doesn't factor in at the NFL you know really at all so I mean how would you weigh him versus a coach I would probably give the edge to Urban just by a little bit because I think he'd be even though I do really like dabble a lot Urban kind of has a track record of being successful like at the head position and Dabble doesn't really have – like, he's been awesome this year as Buffalo's offensive coordinator, but he hasn't really done any big things that kind of give you a lot of um, – I don't know, just make you feel confident about it, or you just feel less confident about him because of his lesser track record. But, again, like I said, he's been awesome for Buffalo. Yeah. And I think, I think either way, like we've said last week, just pairing, like, an offensive mind with your new quarterback kind of makes a lot of sense to kind of bring them up with it. Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Gus, I, along that same vein, uh, I did a Q&A with Big Cat Country this weekend. I got asked, like, give us, like, a sleeper GM name and a sleeper head coach name. So I didn't want to, you know, put out the be enemy, the ball, Joe Brady, anything like that. But what, what, what do you think about this name, just as a sleeper? Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, Jim Caldwell. The I think Lions they can old coach? Yeah, yeah. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I think that Jim Caldwell is like 
a rich man's version of Doug Marone where he's a good coach, but like, is he really going to take you to like that level? Yeah. Like, I don't think he was, he wasn't the problem in Detroit, but he wasn't the solution either. And those teams I, were like solid, but it's not like he ever, like, I guess, the, how many I guess the question, have I guess won? the question you'd have to ask is, do the Jaguars need somebody to like get them like, you know, to that level right now? Or do they just, then he try to get respectable right now. You know what I mean? Because I feel like he's the kind of guy who, like you mentioned, he can bring, like, your franchise to a respectable level. But, I mean, you know, he never had better than a 9-7 and seven record or whatever in Detroit. Right. I would say <laughs> – I'm not saying this is correct, but I, I would like to see the Jaguars swing for the fences and kind of just go all in on someone that can take, like, high-risk, high-reward, like a Zach Taylor who, like, you don't really know much about Zach Taylor – and it seems like he hasn't really panned out that great for Cincinnati. But, um, I mean, someone young and new, I feel like, like a dabble that probably has potential. I mean, it's hard to say, like, potential in terms of, like, coaches yeah. and general managers versus, like, college football players. But I, I was going to say, it's definitely it's definitely a hard thing for people to try to pinpoint because I know fans and even, you know, media every year, they're like, okay, who are the top offenses and defenses in the NFL? Let's just name their coordinators, you know. But uh, you guys heard it here first. Uh, Gus wants the Jaguars to hire the coach whose best uh, thing on his resume is he stood next to Sean McVay in a team photo. Yeah, I'm about two years late for that trend, but I'll take it. What's <laughs> or who's the uh, Brandon Staley? Is that the yeah? Brandon he he a- actually he though, yeah no, but it, it, as opposed to Zach Taylor, who I thought made zero sense as a hire, I, I think Staley is a super interesting guy. And if the Jaguars were to swing for the fences, I would actually say Staley's a better candidate than uh, Joe Brady. Ooh, I don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. I, you know I like the quarterback and offensive coordinator or yeah, play color I, duo. Yeah, I know. And I think, I know. And I think that Fields with Brady would be a lot of fun, honestly. But I would be very happy if Staley ended up being – at least yeah. get an interview with him because yeah, I was I was low on the Rams going into this year just because they lost a ton of talent on defense yep. and didn't have Wade Phillips anymore. And I thought that that side of the ball was going to be brutal for them. But Staley's legitimately been one of the best D coordinators in the league this year. Yeah, no, no, to me, they want like to me, the Rams being as good as they are is one of the surprises in the league this year. And uh, I, I know Jacksonville fans, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey is, you know, the thou who shall not be named and whatnot. But uh, just looking at how Staley uses Ramsey, uh, you know, Eric Stoner and I, when Ramsey was coming out of FSU, I still had the receipts. I don't care what anybody says, I have them in my Google uh, like chat hangout receipts. Uh, conversation history but my comp for Jalen coming out was Charles Woodson because you know FSU played him at outside cornerback his uh, last year but when he was at his best at FSU is when they moved him kind of all over the field and that's what the Rams have done with him this year and he never did that you know in Jacksonville you know he'd play a snap here and there as a single high safety or whatever but you rarely saw Jacksonville do really anything creative with him but Staley's kind of like unlocked his full potential. And I think this is probably Ramsey's second, second best year as a pro, uh, you know, behind only, uh, only uh, 2017. So yeah, I, I think Staley's definitely an interesting guy, but I mean, there's a lot of interesting names and that's another reason I don't think the Jaguars will go back to Marone. It's just, there's so many other options this year, you know, as opposed to maybe even last year where it seemed like the head coaching cycle was kind of, you know, maybe not as impressive as it is, as it is this year. So there's how many options there are on the table. I just, I, 
I think the Jaguars will likely just go with one of those. And uh, I, I'll stick with my prediction that Brian Dable will be the Jags next head coach. Okay. When, when is that new prediction? Did you already make yeah, that? Prediction? I said that last week. Yeah, I said that last week. Oh, okay. I know we yeah, talked said, about that. I said I him to Jax, uh, Saleh to Detroit, uh, Ibafus, oh, right. yeah, to uh, Atlanta, and then Vienna uh, me to Houston. All right, I do. I do remember that now, but I forgot the dabble to Jacksonville. I I didn't know that was a firm take, but no, you're sure, on yeah. the record. Well, I'm planning my flag now. Yeah, my my prediction. When everybody asks me who their next head coach is, that's my prediction. So, don't come at me when Willie Taggart or whoever is <laughs> next head coach, because evidently my predictions have just completely missed the mark as of late. That's all good. I'm I'm hoping you're right on this one, but we, we shall see. Oh. It also helps when you're in terms of like this year versus last year of candidates that like the enemy and Sala from the Niners ended up not even getting hired. And it seemed like they were two of the best candidates last year. For sure. And so the fact that there was kind of leftovers, <laughs> that's not a great way to put it, but leftovers from last year makes this class yeah. of potential uh, head coaches stronger as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see, you know, not, not just how, you know, obviously my job is to cover the Jaguars, but, I just I one love football and two I love really just like the flow of you know an NFL season so like I'm always fascinated to see you know like coaching uh, hiring cycles and stuff and which directions teams go in and why like you know I I, I thought Miami hiring Brian Flores and just seeing like his kind of you know ascent up there and in his first press conference I thought it was awesome so just stuff like that Gus. Uh, moving past the coaching thing, uh, you know, it, in March, free agency will begin. The Jaguars, you know, they've they've given out a few big contracts over the last two years, despite being cap, uh, you know, kind of cap limited. You know, Nick Foles got paid a boatload of money, and then Joe Schobert got a sizable contract. But the Jaguars haven't really been that big spending team that they, you know, were in like 2015, 2016 for a few years. But Maybe this year changes, you know, I mean, they're projected to have some of the most uh, available salary cap with some projections being around 100 million. So with that in mind, do you have any kind of like mini list of free agents that would make sense for the Jaguars? And you don't need to give out any contract estimations or anything like that, but just players that you think might make sense for them. Yeah, I think uh, Alan Robinson and Yannick Ngakwe would be just great locker room players, just <laughs> really talented. No, I'm just trolling. Um, I would say, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I would say that I'm in terms of positions. I think that tackle and or veteran tackles and young receivers are really strong this year. It's like Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, Will Fuller, and Juju Smith-Schuster are all going to be free agents, and it's more likely than not than most of them will be retained by their teams, especially like Galladay and Godwin. But as I've said on this podcast, like I'm a big believer in the fact that wide receivers matter and have a really big impact on the game and are just really valuable. And while I think that the Jaguars receivers are good, I think that they can have kind of, if they could get another sort of alpha next to Chark, that would be a lot of fun. And so if they go after a receiver, I would be very happy. And then it kind of seems like Cam Robinson is just a replacement level player at this position or at this spot in his career. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Jaguars, like how they address the tackle, left tackle position in the off season. But I think one route that they can take is go after someone like Trent Williams or Russell Kung or uh, Alejandro Villanueva from the Steelers 
and have like a veteran guy that they know is reliable and then can kind of like fill that hole for a few years, especially with a young quarterback that's going to come in and needs a reliable blind side protector. So basically, long story short, I'm hoping for left tackle and wide receiver upgrades because I think there's a lot of talent at those positions. But then one specific player that I really like is Gerald Everett, who's a tight end for the Rams. And I don't think he's going to get re-signed by LA because they just signed Tyler Higby, who's another tight end, and Cooper Cup, and I think Bobby Trees all to contract expansions last offseason. And so it seems unlikely that Everett will be there again. Where are you laughing at? Bobby I, I, Trees. I, I was trying to think of who, who, who in God's name was Bobby Trees. And- Robert Wood, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I don't know. It hit me. I think Bobby Trees might be my favorite player nickname. You're getting but, cabin fever. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of those make sense. I'm, I think maybe one under the radar name, you know, for those positions you mentioned. Uh, I think a guy like maybe Corey Davis could make sense for them, you know, next year, you know. I mean, he just kind of fits kind of their body type, you know. A big receiver with some speed. And I, I think three – there are three free agents who make a ton of sense for the Jaguars next year. And they're all on defense, though. And I know, you know, some people like, you know, invest in the offensive line. But to me, I think the biggest areas that they need to add is they need veterans on defense. So here are three free agents that, you know, I'll be talking about a lot for the next couple of months. It's a Rams uh, safety, John Johnson, uh, you know, really talented safety, you know, set to be a free agent. And the Rams don't exactly have, you know, a ton of cap space. And then uh, Cincinnati Bengals cornerback, William Jackson. Uh, Jackson looked like he was going to extend to be, you know, one of the top 10 to 12 NFL cornerbacks a couple of years ago. Uh, injuries have kind of stalled him out since then. Uh, he's still a really solid player. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe the Jaguars will be looking for a cornerback two, cornerback three type. And then uh, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because a year ago I would have said it was ludicrous, but Leonard Williams, I mean, you know, he's had, he's had a great year in the middle of the Giants defense. And I've never been a big Leonard Williams guy, but I mean, I, I think he's earned a payday with his, play this year and I think an interior disruptor is the type of defender the Jaguars need to target this offseason because you know for for as positive as the returns have been on Doug Costin and Devon Hamilton the Jags still need a pass rusher so badly in the middle of their defense 100% yeah I'm I'm the same way with Leonard Williams like I was never a massive fan but he's definitely had a really good year this year and then Williams has actually had an awesome year this year and he's kind of been just like one of the few bright spots for Cincinnati this year. Mm-hmm. But he's had maybe not like a mini breakout, but he's definitely been really good this he, year. He's a really good player. And I feel like, you know, he was a late first round pick a couple of years ago. And I just feel like people have kind of forgotten about him since he got drafted. He's a really good player. Yeah. And then John, John Johnson is really good too. And I, I feel like there's also a lot of talent at uh, safety in this class for free agents. And so I feel like the Jags kind of need a lot of, how about different areas in defense but like especially pass rushing like you said but I think playmaking at either safety position would yeah. have a huge impact for the defense yeah no 100% I think I think just finding more playmakers in defense in general because there's been so many moments this year where the Jaguars are right there but you just need somebody to make a play you know at the end of the day I mean that's that's really as simple as it is I mean when they won a lot of games in 2017 it's because you know they had the and Gakwe's and the Ramsey's and the Boye's and the Campbell's making big plays, you know, when they have to be made. And that's what the Jaguars have missed this year. You know, not enough people taking advantage of those opportunities. So I, I think we're in mostly agreement there. And that kind of brings me on to my next point. Uh, 
Gus, we both got posed this question on Twitter, so I figured, you know, we take it to the airwaves and kind of debate it. Say you're the Jaguars, and I don't know, you know, I don't want to say Dak Prescott's on the open market just because I feel like that's too obvious of an answer. But say you're the Jaguars and a quarterback like, you know, Carson Wentz is available. Is it better to take Justin Fields at two and build around him or take a veteran quarterback like Wentz or even stick with Minshew and take a 10 to 12 year starter at left tackle like us, Sewell? Like, is there any value there or is that just you're taking Fields like instantly? Taking Fields instantly. I was going to say, if we're talking Dak, then, like, we can have a conversation about it. But, like you said, like, Dak's too obvious, and it would be very – I mean, no, let's let's talk Dak. I mean, just for conversation's (laughs) sake. Just for conversation's sake. The thing that – what was his exact injury? It wasn't an Achilles tear. Was it, like, a foot fracture? It was an ankle or something. Okay. Yeah, I think broken ankle sounds So not even close to Achilles injury, yeah. It was was down there, the foot area. (laughs) (laughs) This is basically the same thing. No. Okay, so if we're talking Dak, it's kind of tough because people, until he plays another good game, are going to be like, oh, I don't know. He had an injury. He's probably not going to be the same, even though no one really knows that. But I think he's – what I would – I'm really high on Dak, and I would probably – if we're doing, like, the list of franchise quarterbacks or – quarterbacks to have if you're starting a franchise or whatever like we both have Mahomes one and Watson two and I would have Dak I don't know if I'd have him three but Dak would definitely be in my top five and I just really believe in him as like a quarterback who's going to continue to get better and so even though the injury is very suspect I think Dak is good enough that you could consider having him and pair him with Sewell but other than that like there's no other quarterback really I mean Jameis Winston intrigues me, but that <laughs> I don't think you can really go that path. Like, like say so if you want to give Jameis that audition year, that's you, you do that this year, <laughs> not not this yeah. upcoming year. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I I think it's a totally different question if you know it's like last year, like I said again, like where they had a number nine pick instead of number two pick. You know, it's it's just so different when you have a chance to give that quarterback, and it's just I keep coming back to. I'm trying to think of the scenarios where these teams sign the big money free agent quarterbacks and, you know, it goes on to benefit them instead of just building around quarterbacks. And Peyton Manning in Denver, um, you know, obviously, I guess, works. And then otherwise, I mean, most quarterbacks who go on to have sustained success are guys who are drafted by their teams and their teams kind of develop around them as opposed to signing a veteran and bringing, you know, a left tackle. I just think you can get more bang for your buck if you have a rookie quarterback on a contract. Like, me personally, I'd rather have a rookie quarterback who is a potential franchise quarterback and a – you know, high-paid left tackle than vice versa, if if that makes sense. I know that sounds ridiculous, like, oh, you rather have Justin Fields and Dak Prescott? No, I wouldn't. But if you're just looking at purely from a team-building perspective, it's a lot easier to build around one guy than the other, you, you know, and, and you still have the chance to have that high ceiling. But I'm with you. I think with Dak, it, it'd be a conversation. I think with any other potentially available quarterback, uh, no. And uh, just <laughs> – just, just, just Carson specifically. I, I can't see any scenario where Carson Wentz would be a successful quarterback in Jacksonville. Like, yeah, but like, like he, he is a broken quarterback right now, and I just, how could Jacksonville be, be the answer to that? You know, like for for as bright as the future as they could potentially have, I don't think even the most optimistic of Jaguar supporters would say that's kind of the place where you know a broken quarterback can kind of repair himself. 
Yeah, especially because, like, his contract is, like, one of the worst in the league, too. Like, no team is ever going to want to take that because he's kind of tied there probably for the next three years. Yeah. I would like to see my kind of, like, hot take. Or I don't know if this is really a take, but just something that back my mind. I'd like to see – I'd like to watch a game with Carson Wentz as quarterback for the 49ers and just kind of see what happens because I think that could be kind of fun. I would, too. I, I still think he can be a good quarterback. I just – Maybe maybe not in Philly, you know. I mean, maybe not anywhere where they roster a backup quarterback because that seems that seems to be an issue. But no, right. I'm with I'm with you there. I I think I, I think you have to take Fields or or Fields, Wilson, Lance, uh, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. I, I think they just have they have to take a quarterback. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think if you're doing anything else, that you're kind of building it uh, the wrong way. You, like you know, taking quarterbacks in sixth round and hoping you know, they can be a flash in the pan and turn into something. That's not how winning teams are really built. You know, if it happens and, you know, hey, great, you know, it happened with the Patriots. It worked out for them. But there's a reason there's been one Tom Brady and there's been countless uh, Tanner Lees. Right. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like quarterback stuff and the way to go. And if if we're talking about, like, just, like, what's the most valuable approach, then I think trading down would probably be more valuable than doing the whole like Carson Wentz and then a left tackle thing, just because the draft is low key a crapshoot and like it's really hard for any team to have sustained yeah. success in the draft, and you kind of have to get lucky in order to have a really good draft. And so, long story short, the analytics will tell you that it's better, it's good to trade back because you just want as many chances to hit on yeah. players as possible. And yeah. so, I th- I think that would be probably the better answer versus taking left sure. tackle and hope that you sign a good free agent quarterback free agent because I mean, that didn't really work out last time jags did that no i mean that, that's actually a good point Gus. i didn't really consider that i mean i've used the analogy before that i see drafting as like kind of going up to bat in baseball you know like each pick is kind of like a pitch that you're seeing and the more pitches you see the more likely you are to you know put a ball into play or you know have a successful pick so you know if you only have five picks well chances are, you know, it's going to be hard to kind of get a good draft class out of that because, I mean, just the fewer chances you have, maybe the fewer opportunities you have, the, the less likely it is to kind of, you know, hit on those picks. So I agree with you there. Here's my question for you, Gus. Do you take I'm, – I'm not even going to say take fields. I'll just say, would you take the second quarterback draft off the board or is there more value in, like you said, trading down and taking the third quarterback drafted off the board? Because, I mean, with that in mind – the best rookie quarterback in this this year was the third quarterback draft. Right. Um, I don't know. I was because that's a good point because I was gonna say it kind of depends on the situation. Like I don't know if you can really answer that well, like in just like in a vacuum because like it seems like there's such a big difference between. I mean, Lawrence is kind of on his own level, and then Fields is sort of on his own level, and then it seems like there's kind of quarterbacks after that that fall after number one, number two. Um, but like. It, like I said, it depends on the circumstance because it depends on the draft compensation that you're getting. It depends on whether you're trading back to number four or to number 15. Like it depends on like the strength of the rest of your roster, or if you actually think you're only a quarterback away. And so it depends on the situation, but for the Jaguars, I would say take the second best, whoever you think is the best second best quarterback versus trading down, even though trading down is never really a bad approach. Yeah, no. And that's, that's, that's what I think my answer would be too. I, I just like if I'm putting on my general manager hat right now, it'd be so hard for me to like 
really like a quarterback who's available at say pick number two and then trade down and take, you know, maybe a quarterback who you're, you're still a big fan of, but you don't like as much as the other guy. That would just, that would be hard, you know, for me to do as a general manager. So uh, I, I'm with you probably, there's probably more value in it from a, uh, as you, as you like to say, from an analytics standpoint with the air finger quotes, but I, uh, I I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think you probably just take the quarterback at two. Um, moving past that, you know, we've talked free agency, we've talked draft, we've talked Urban Meyer somehow. The Jaguars still have a game on Sunday uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. They're playing last year's MVP and Lamar Jackson as well as a pair of former Jags uh, cornerstone defenders, Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, I'm expecting Ngakwe specifically to have a pretty, pretty good game. Uh, Gus, is there any chance that this game isn't ugly for the Jaguars? I mean, I don't really know how to say anything other than no, because um, I remember, at, like, when I was over this past summer, when I was writing that big Minshew piece about whether or not he can be a franchise quarterback, I was thinking that it would be a lot of fun just from a pure football fan perspective to watch Minshew play against the 2019 Patriots defense, because Minshew kind of, if he looks at his first read and he's open, then Minshew's a solid quarterback. But once that first read isn't really open, then he just gets extremely flustered and everything sort of breaks down. And so the Patriots last year, and they do it a decent amount this year too, but especially last year when they were successful at it, they did a lot of zero blitzes, a lot of man coverage, a lot of like not – you're not really sure who's blitzing and who's not. And so the Ravens, I think, are might be the next closest thing to that where you're not sure who's blitzing, you're not sure who – you're not sure who is or isn't blitzing. They have a lot of zero blitzes. They're probably like near the top of the league. Um, Wink Martindale is the Ravens defensive coordinator, and he's been there for three years. And all three years, they've led the league in blitz rate. And so Minshew is just going to have to be extremely decisive and just poised in order for the Jaguars to have any chance. And he hasn't been able, he does it every once in a while, but he hasn't shown the ability to do that consistently. And so it's going to be a long day for the offense, I think, just because the Minshew's conservativeness does not mix well at all with Baltimore's aggressiveness on defense. And also, like I wrote about the uh, unique versus Cam Robinson matchup in the my article this week, but Cam has been, like I said earlier, probably like a replacement player left tackle. But unique is still unique, and he's been a monster. So I fully expect, like, I, I, I feel like his skill set specifically is the kind of defensive end that Cam has kind of struggled with. Yeah, and like, you can't really say the one that Minshew struggled with, but like Minshew has had some problems with like pocket awareness and holding onto the ball. Especially last year, he lost a lot of fumbles. Which, to be fair, like rookie quarterbacks tend to lose a lot of fumbles their first year and then kind of recover afterwards. And he has, he's been better about this year, but I would not be surprised at all to see Ngakwe get two strip sacks on Minshew, at least. Yeah, no, same here. And the thing I just keep coming back to is every time the Jaguars play the Texans, I just find it incredibly amusing to watch Deshaun Watson kind of frustrate the Jags defense for 60 minutes by just running around in the backfield and evading every sack. And I think Sunday is just going to be a sped up version of that. You know, I mean, I, I, I just, I can't see this Jaguars defense stopping Lamar Jackson uh, on the ground. I mean, whether it's, you know, him extending plays or picking up plays with his yard, I mean, with his feet, the, the, the Jaguars have been unable to stop mobile quarterbacks. 
you know, under this defensive scheme. And right. they're about to play the most mobile quarterback in the NFL. So, for all the reasons you mentioned and because, I mean, for, for as much as I, I love Lamar, like, as a player and stuff, I, I, I wouldn't consider Lamar a top-tier player like just pure passer at all, you know, like he has a lot of flaws as a passer, but just his specific skill set, I think is one that the Jaguars are not really equipped to uh, face. And, you know, most teams aren't equipped to face Lamar. I mean, there's a reason he was the MVP, but uh, the Jaguars is a team that he's, you know, playing this weekend. I, I, I just think it's going to be a long day for them on defense. And like you had mentioned, it doesn't look as good for them on offense either. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see like what, Wash tries to do if he does like certain things differently from what he usually does because the Jags have run cover one man defense at one of the highest rates in the league this year and um, you, everyone saw on Monday Night Football last week when Lamar was just running crazy when the Browns had played a ton of man coverage and so I mean we'll see what happens but if you can the thing about Lamar or it's is that it's so great to have 11 on 11 with a dual threat quarterback and so if the if the Jaguars couldn't stop just Derrick Henry last week, I don't know how yeah. they can stop Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins this week. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, uh, uh, you you got a score prediction. I'll go ahead and give mine. Uh, last week I said it was like 38 to 13. I was just barely wrong. This week I'm going to go – I'll go 34-15. Uh, ugly score. Does not look aesthetically pleasing at all, but I, I think the Ravens win – by around 20 points and a commanding game that doesn't actually look as close as the score is. I'm going to say 41-0. That's my hot take. That's my hot take for this week is a shutout, not even close to scoring points. Zero. How about this? I I honestly wasn't sure if zero points was going to be a hot enough take. I mean, it is a pretty hot take. But to make it actually spicy for you, I'll do this. Zero red zone trips for the Jaguars on Sunday. I think that's a good one. How many times did they cross 50? Uh, I'll say four. Four? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to do that. I hope you understand this. Four is not I, that I've much. Mental, I've made a mental note of this. Okay. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a bot that says, did the, did the Jaguars cross the 50? <laughs> it tweets at you every time that they do on Sunday. <laughs> like but, the Zacherts has Zacherts broken a tackle. <laughs> goodness gracious. Um, I I guess my hot take would be. Dang, this is another week. But like, I even I think about it before we come on, and I'm still like, what what hot take is there? I, my my hot take will be, the Jaguars limit the Ravens to. Eighty five yards passing. Because they're going to have 400 yards of rushing. Yeah. I don't ask me the yards per attempt, but I, I, I think as a total, the Ravens receivers will have, you know, around around that, you know, 60 to 80, 80 yards of receiving in the game, even though the Jaguars are going to be thin at cornerback. So, yeah, that's my hot take. I, I think Lamar is going to have a weird stat line where he has like 85 yards passing on 12 attempts and like 180 <laughs> rushing yards and two touchdowns or, or whatever like that. So, my my hot take is Lamar looks like he has a Georgia Tech stat line. I like that. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, not even that's not even critiquing Lamar. It's just I think the Ravens are going to notice that's they can just run the ball against Jacksonville and kind of you know challenge their run fits and kind of win that. Right. I think honestly, like there's a probably a solid chance that Lamar gets pulled pretty early. So it could end up being like a denim screen or shake take, even though that's on pace for it, but. 
I get what you're saying about like not being able to come up with the wins because it's like, how am I going to phrase a hot take where the Jaguars just get blown yeah. out this week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, you mentioned him getting pulled. That reminds me that Anthony Lynn is probably one of the three worst head coaches in the NFL, but he still beat the Jaguars bad enough to the point last year. Well, Phillip Rivers got pulled before an entire quarter, and Tyrod Taylor played an entire fourth quarter against the Jags last year. That's that's just a that's just a nice little ho- holiday memory to keep y'all going through <laughs> until the next episode. That was a long game for sure. I don't know uh, how he's still there. I we talked yeah. about this a month ago, where I I said he's going to be the next head coach fired, and somehow he's still there. But Teflon Lynn, man, Teflon Lynn, and you know he seems like a really nice and interesting guy. It's just I mean. Right. They're such an unorganized team. I mean, that that like, I'm not gonna call it field goal attempt. That that whole disaster with the field goal unit was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on a football field. I'm like, that's what it looks like when like Madden glitches. Like, how is this? Yeah, team? <laughs> yeah like the end of the half when you have three seconds left and you're know yeah. you're screwed. But exactly. You do it anyway. Exactly. Yeah, he's the clock management has been like terrible not just for the last three weeks but for the last like three years so it's just kind of bewildering at this point i, I i'd hire a clock management coach if i was a coach though so i understand i yeah, me too I, I i i all these they have to think about scenarios and you know any any scenario where i have to put hard rational thinking and numbers and odds together i'm probably just better off deferring to somebody else so anthony lynn i get it i, 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 totally, <laughs> I totally get it but uh I, that, that's all we have for this week's show uh you can find me at underscore john underscore shipley uh jaguar report at jaguar report and si.com slash nfl slash jaguars gus give me a twitter handle and get us out of here I'm at Gus underscore Logue on Twitter. Thank you guys. Appreciate it for listening and see you guys next week.